Today, a question of democracy. Hello again, this is Martin North from Digital Finance Analytics, well known as Post, covering finance and property news. Well, this week the Senate held hearings into the proposed changes to the way the RBA works. The original review was led by three technocrats and included a recommendation to remove the overall power. This power, specifically Section 11 of the Reserve Bank Act of 1959, enables the Federal Treasurer to overrule an action taken by the Reserve Bank in extreme situations via a clear and determined process. And even though no Australian government has used it in more than 60 years, it is important. It's supposed to be a democratic fail-safe. The technocrats recommended the overall powers should be removed from the Act. Their reasoning was that there was a risk that the Federal Treasurer, and by extension the Federal Government, might abuse that power. But what if the RBA abuses their power? And the proposed changes were not supported by the bulk of those who appeared in the Senate hearings. So today we're going to look at the evidence provided. At the heart of the issue is this. How accountable should the RBA be? If there was no democratic override from the Section 11 power, what happens if the economists at the RBA set monetary policy in a way that badly impacted ordinary people? Bearing in mind that another recommendation was to strike safeguarding the welfare for Australians from their objectives. The focus now will be on inflation and employment only. Central banks are not infallible. Sometimes they do make mistakes. And frankly, they are not really that accountable for their decisions, right or wrong. So it is indeed a question of democracy. Former Prime Minister Paul Keating warned last year that the RBA must not be allowed to become completely independent of government. Keating said the recommendation to strip the federal government of its power to overrule an RBA decision from the Reserve Bank review goes against democratic norms. And now we've heard from multiple witnesses as part of the Senate review. Most don't agree with the recommendation and agree with Keating, including two former RBA governors, Bernie Fraser and Ian McFarlane, and a former treasurer, Peter Costello, who urged Parliament to retain the government's power to overrule the Reserve Bank, as outlined in the current Section 11 of the RBA Act. Economic historian John Hawkins said it would be undemocratic to strip that overall power from the treasurer, Economist Stephen Hamilton agreed with Dora Hawkins, as did economists Richard Dennis and Matt Goodenough from the Australian Institute think tank. Economic historian John Hawkins reminded senators that this overall power has an important political history. What do you see as the danger in removing those powers, if any danger? And I guess as a corollary question to that, if those powers were removed, how would a difference of... Uh, opinion on policy matters such as um, such as interest rates or such as QE, for example, how would that be resolved if there was a difference of opinion between the board of the bank and the government of the day in the absence of Section 11 powers? Answering the second uh, question, uh, the the government would be essentially powerless. They could tell the board what they wanted them to do, but if the board was obdurate about it, um, there would be nothing they could do. Uh, it's, I mean, it's unlikely to sort of come to that, that but it's not impossible. I mean, we had a, a case in the 1930s where 
the then uh, Treasurer uh, Ted Theodore wanted to engage in a sort of proto-Keynesian policy, an expansionary fiscal policy, uh, but the uh, chair of the Commonwealth Bank refused to cooperate and, and there was nothing that the Treasurer could do. So it's not uh, entirely hypothetical, it has arisen uh, once. He said, in the 1930s, the Commonwealth Bank, which is the predecessor Reserve Bank, exacerbated the Great Depression by refusing to help James Scullion's Labour government to fund public works to boost employment and to provide relief to farmers. That behaviour by the central bank during the Depression was not forgotten by Labour, and that's why Labour Prime Minister Ben Chifley enshrined the overruled power in the Commonwealth Bank Act of 1945 to ensure that Australia's government would always have ultimate power over the bank in the future. Prime Minister Robert Menzies then enshrined that power in the updated Reserve Bank Act of 1959. Mr Hawkins said no government has ever used that overall power since it was put into the Act, but it's seen as a democratic failsafe to ensure that the federal government retains the power to pull the bank into line if necessary. And, as economic historian Alex Milmo has previously said, it's ironic that Labour Treasurer Jim Chalmers has accepted the recommendation to strip that power from the Act when it was a Labour government that put the power into the Act in the first place in the 1940s in the direct response to Australia's central bank going rogue during the 1930s Depression, for which the then Labour government of James Scullion suffered politically. Former RBA Governor Ian McFarlane gave evidence to the hearing he also agreed that it would be a big mistake to remove the government's overrule power from the Reserve Bank Act. He told senators that after decades of reflection, he's concluded that the overall power, which is found in that section 11 of the Act, was a very valuable thing to have in a democratic society. He said it had never been used, but that doesn't mean it's redundant. It needs to stay in the Act for rare events. Section 11 actually protects central bank independence. Liberal Senator Andrew Bragg asked Mr McFarlane why he thought the RBA reviewers recommended the overall power should be stripped from the Act. I noticed that the previous speakers referred back to the events in the early 30s. Uh, and you know, it's to do with rare events. It's like your reference to reserve powers in the Constitution. That was a rare event. In short, I think Section 11 protects central bank independence in that it prevents short-term government meddling in decisions, but it preserves the authority of the elected government in those rare and unforeseen major events. So, so I guess my follow-up question is, why do you think, as a former governor, that this is on the agenda at all? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, uh, I don't know. I think if you're a newcomer and you looked at the Reserve Bank Act, you might say, oh, there's something there. That's, we, we want to get rid of things that aren't needed. Uh, oh, let's get rid of that one because that hasn't been used. I, think, I don't think there's been deep thinking gone behind the review of the Reserve Bank at all. And I don't think there's any deep thinking gone behind the decision to get rid of Section 11. Um, but yeah, it was important. I mean, we talked about it a lot. If you were, if you were uh, at the senior levels of the Reserve Bank, or I dare say in the Treasury, you were very conscious of the existence of Section 11. 
And people had different views about it, and people argued uh, about whether it ended central bank independence or it helped central bank independence. But there was certainly a great awareness of its existence. The fact that it hadn't been used didn't mean that it was something that was irrelevant. It was definitely on people's minds. And that's why uh, you can't dismiss it simply on the grounds that it hasn't been used. Former Treasurer Peter Costello said he's not quite sure why the RBA review recommended splitting out the central RBA board structure. He said if we had two RBA boards, one looking after monetary policy and one looking after the bank's balance sheet, then it could actually worsen the bank's governance. And on the matter of stripping the overall powers from the Act, he said he didn't think it should happen. I don't think we'll improve things by getting rid of it, he said. And he said the federal parliament needed to maintain ultimate power over the RBA, and it would be strange to see parliament voting to get rid of that power. It's such a difficult power to exercise that the government should only exercise it in extreme circumstances, which is why it's never been done, he said, which is why, in my view, it's not a problem. You know, it's really a question for the parliament here. It's a, it's a question of sovereignty. Does, does the parliament think uh, that it should still have powers in this area or, 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 or does, does it not? If it doesn't trust itself, it should get rid of them. But frankly, you know, I, I, I think that uh, it would be better to have them there than to have some new power legislated in some extreme circumstance. OK, just finally, some of the evidence that we've received today is that the mere existence of the power has been useful in decades past. When you were treasurer for over 11 years, did you ever canvass the use of these powers? No, no, I didn't. No, of course not. Um, it was never necessary. Um, I do think you, you'll never hear this from central bankers, obviously, but they do have enormous powers, and if anything, I think I think they probably don't get enough scrutiny. This, this idea that we should remove them from all scrutiny—they're you know, they're, they're not infallible. They make mistakes. The idea of the infallibility of a, a central bank governor—you uh, know—we can't even criticise them. I've, I've always said I think the press, because they've got such power, the press should be more robust in its criticism of them. I think that would be a good thing. And I actually think there wasn't enough criticism of, of what we call the unconventional monetary policy, which was the forward guidance and the bond buying program. There'd been a bit more. Maybe we'd have got some, uh, some better decisions at that point. And former RBA Governor Bernie Fraser said he agreed with Mr Costello and Mr McFarlane that the overall powers should not be stripped from the RBA Act. In his submission to the hearing, he warned against it in some detail. Simply dumping Section 11 would do nothing to enhance the bank's independence, he wrote. Rather, the likelihood is that sooner or later the vacuum would be filled with alternative processes aimed at clipping the bank's independence. RBA Governor Michelle Bullock said she was agnostic on the proposal to strip the government's overall power from the RBA Act. She said it's a matter for the government and parliament to decide how they want to proceed on this matter. And she said she didn't expect the topic of the overall power to come up in the RBA review, and the RBA had enough independence to do its job already. Green Senator Nick McKim pushed Governor Bullock to give a firmer opinion on her view of the recommendation to strip the overall power from the Act. Um, Ms Bullock, you, re you referenced... Um 
your answer to questions you received, including questions from me recently, where you said you're agnostic on the proposal. You also said that you think the RBA has as much independence as you need to do our job. Does that remain your view? Yes, it remains my view, Senator. Thank you. Um, the review panel formed the view that there was a need to further enhance the RBA's independence. That's, that's, um, I'm reading out from the, their recommendation 1.1 here. So given that you think you have as much independence as you need, I presume you would agree there's no need to further enhance your independence? Um, I, I basically, as I said, I'm agnostic on this issue um, and whatever the government decides, I think we can work with, Senator. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. But, but given your evidence that you have as much independence as you need to do your job, wouldn't it therefore flow that you see no need for any further enhancement of that independence? Senator, I, I guess what I'd say is that I can see the arguments on both sides of this, and um, I think we have got independence. I think what the panel was saying was that they can't foresee circumstances in the future in which that might not be the case, so they were trying to strengthen it. I, I can't see that. Um, but again, if the panel decided that they were putting that argument, others have put the other side of the argument. I can see both sides. Um, but I'm comfortable um, which whatever way the government decides on this. Okay, but, but just to be clear, you are comfortable with the amount of independence that the RBA currently has? You're satisfied with that level of independence? Yes, I'm comfortable with that, Senator. All right, all right. And Ms Bullock said she didn't know what would happen if the RBA and the government couldn't agree about something. She said she tried to talk to the government and resolve the disagreement, but if no resolution could be found, she was not sure what would happen. And she said she doesn't know what the legal ramifications might be in that situation. And she threw the question then to a general counsel who said a formal legislative mechanism of some kind could be created to solve the issue. And then Mr McKim asked, isn't that what Section 11 already provides? And Mr Bullock said, yes. That's what Section 11 does now. Professor Rennie Fry-McKibben was one of the experts who reviewed the RBA. Appearing before the committee, along with fellow reviewer Dr Gordon De Brewer, she only briefly mentioned the hot topic of the overall power, which she had recommended to be stripped from the Act. She said the Parliament is sovereign and it could always overrule the RBA in the future. I guess we're assuming here the overall power had already been stripped from the Act. By amending the Act again, Dr Gordon de Brewer said it would be better for Parliament to override the central bank rather than the executive government and that the current arrangements give too much power to executive government. Liberal Senator Andrew Bragg wanted to know how the government of the day in a world where the overall power had been stripped from the Act could prevent the RBA from going rogue, say lifting interest rates to 20%. De Brewer said the elected government in that situation could reflect its concerns in a new bill that it could try to pass through Parliament. And he said the changes that he'd recommended making to the RBA's governance would make the RBA, quote, a highly competent organisation, where it was even less likely to go rogue. 
But Senator Bragg wanted to know if they thought the RBA is independent now, even though Section 11 is in the Act. Have you been able to listen to some of the other evidence today so far? Only one. Um, Mr Costello and Mr Fraser. At the end of Mr Costello. Okay, yeah. There's been a, a fair bit of debate about the Section 11 matter and it's been put by a number of the witnesses today that the benefit of this section is that it sets out a clear process that people understand if it were to be invoked. Um, so if it was to be abolished per your recommendation, uh, what would happen if uh, Governor raised the cash rate to 20%? Can I just, uh, it's not the governor actually raising the cash rate to 20%. It's the board in this case and the board taking responsibility for it. So you'd have to have, uh, if you thought that 20% was wrong, you'd have to have basically collective craziness rather than an individual being crazy. And that's where the changes are strengthening the board decision making rather than concentrated in one person. Well, when it comes to 20%, Senator, uh, I, I think it's pretty unusual to get interest rates to 20%, but there may be occasions where actually that, that's not completely, uh, in a very bizarre or strange world, that, would, that may be a proper decision. And where you've got a board that's taking full account of all the information, it's got a broad breadth of representation and membership, it's considering the issues carefully, then actually that board is better placed so I'm not, I'm not saying jump to the 20%, but actually we've got a structure there if, if the parliament wants to go down this route that protects against that sort of occasion happening. And at the end of the day, parliament is sovereign, as it should be. But the question is what would happen if, these, if this process, which is known to people and is clear, was removed and there was some catastrophic event uh, but there needed to be intervention by the elected government. I mean, what, what would happen? Elected government could take that through a bill through the parliament. If, if you really thought that that was the that was the that was the issue, we, we, we've never. Yeah, so we've we never to... Sorry, I'm sorry, Senator. I'm sorry, Senator. I don't mean to talk. I guess what I was saying is, so it would then effectively replace what's already there today. Well, what's there uh, hasn't been used, and what's there is potentially uh, an undermining of the independence of the central bank. And in this case, what we'd be talking about is a highly competent, uh, well-representative central bank board, rather than, okay. rather than the power in one person. So that, that's a good segue. So what is the evidence you have that there is a view that the RBA is not independent? Uh, I, I didn't say that. Uh, I, uh, the, uh, well, the RBA is operationally independent. It's independent because you guys uh, allow them to be independent. That's, that's a political decision. Um, but you're in, they're independent um, because they have to make difficult decisions uh, and they need to be, um, I guess, protected from the short-run political process of, um, you know, populist politics and, you know, the RBA having to make hard decisions is hard sometimes and they need to be protected as well. Liberal Senator Dean Smith wanted to know if the reviewer could name any people as equally esteemed as people like Peter Costello, Ian McFarlane and Bertie Fraser, who were arguing for the overall power to be stripped from the Act. It's clear in the evidence today 
that former governors, Mr Fraser and Mr McFarlane, former treasurer, Mr Costello, uh, third parties like the Australia Institute and ACOS, and then other independent submitters do not support removing section 11. For our benefit, can you identify for us some equally esteemed people that support the removal of section 11? Well, Andy Levin, who wrote, who was a professor from the US, wrote an in-depth um, paper on this for us. Um, we accepted that part of his recommendation. We didn't accept all of his recommendations. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of academic work uh, that looking at the period of the inflation shocks in the 70s um, that looked at the uh, role of the independence of a central bank in um, inflation outcomes, and they found that the more independent a central bank is, the better inflation outcomes are. And so I suppose for me, I suppose for me as a, a layperson, what I'm seeing is a clear delineation between those with lived experience and and you've identified an academic. Can you identify? Can you so? Can you can you identify? Uh, someone with a, perhaps a more practical lived experience uh, who supports the recommendation in regards to uh, removing Section 11? So, um, Professor Levin was um, a member of the, um, the US federal system for a long period of time. So that's where he came out. Was the success of the other reforms proposed in the RBA review hinge on accepting the recommendation in regards to Section 11? My view would be no, Senator. Uh, it's, it's an important... Uh, we thought it was the right recommendation to make, and again, we consulted on it, and we've got an argument and logic, and we think that it could work in practice, but it's not, it's not the central recommendation. I, 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 and, yeah. and your professionalism would not be offended if the Parliament didn't accept it? I, I, look, the, uh, the Parliament sovereign. This is, this, is a, this is a matter for you, Senator, and a matter for the Parliament. But note that Treasury official Shane Johnson said the submission from Andrew Levin did not specifically reference Section 11 in the RBA Act, but it did talk about override powers in general and best practices, generally speaking. Green Senator Nick McKim said that he was struggling to understand where this recommendation to dump the overall power from the Act had come from. Abjectly unable to answer my question as to where this idea arose. Mm. And in the end, they said it arose through conversation through panel members. So anyway, you've taken that on notice, which I appreciate. Look, has Treasury ever advised the Treasurer, the current Treasurer, that um, the, RBA's, the RBA's independence needs to be bolstered or future-proofed? Is, is that advice Treasury's ever given to the Treasurer? So I don't want to speak to the content of our advice. We, we looked at the review findings carefully and we provided advice to the Treasurer on the review findings and the government has decided to accept those findings. Um, outside of that review process, we haven't briefed on the independence of the RBA, but as part of that process, we would have given our advice. The current governor's agnostic. Two former governors oppose the proposal to repeal Section 11. Uh, two former treasurers, Keating and Costello, oppose the proposal to repeal 
um, Section 11. These are people of significant experience and expertise and, and consequence. Um, taken as a whole, their argument is actually not just limited to a, um, a, a view that Section 11 should be repealed. It's actually, it, they actually collectively mount an argument that to repeal Section 11 would compromise the independence of the RBA. Do you have any evidence to the contrary? Well, Senator, what I can do is I can repeat the arguments of why the review put this forward and, and why we think that there are benefits in terms of the RBA's independence. I did listen carefully to the earlier testimony and, as you say, these are respected people that we, we look at closely and, and consider their views. Um, I have to confess I struggle a little to see how um, removing override power could undermine the independence, personally. I mean, I respect the views of these individuals, but I, I struggle to see how it would undermine the independence when Parliament still has the opportunity to step in, but there is a, essentially an extra bar from my, in my mind from going from the Governor of the Day to the Parliament. Um, but we listened carefully, but all I could do is repeat the arguments for why we think this is a good move. Well, I, I listened, Mr Yeoman, to your, to your previous evidence mm -hmm. on uh, what might happen or, or one um, possibility of what might happen if Section 11 were removed and there was a significant policy disagreement between the Government of the Day and, uh, and the board of the RBA. So you're, um, and, and you've stated that you think that, you know, requiring the parliament to legislate is a, is a high bar, I think, in your words. So I just want to be clear that you, you think it's preferable that there be no mechanism in the Act to break a deadlock or a difference of policy opinion between the government of the day and the RBA, it would be preferable there'd be no mechanism in the Act to do that, and then that the Parliament could then come in and what, legislate to put a mechanism in or legislate to instruct or require the RBA board to do a particular thing, like set interest rates at a particular level. Is that your... I mean, which of those do you foresee the Parliament could do. So as an official, I'll be careful not to give an opinion per se. Well, but well, I actually I have given a couple of opinions today, Mr Yeoman. But what I will say is that... Sorry, oh. Mr Yeoman, I was on, on mute while I was... You know, just trying to say that Senator McKinney literally asked for an opinion. Well, Mr Yeoman has literally given a couple... What I'm endeavouring... He's describing the review findings and the policy underpinnings uh, as is appropriate. Uh, well, certainly what I'm endeavouring, thank you Chair and, and Senator, certainly what I'm endeavouring to do is to outline the reasoning that sits in the review process and that the government has endorsed in its, in its approach. Um, I think it's important to keep in mind, as has been said, this is a power that has not been used in the history of the, the Reserve Bank. It would be, in my mind, an incredibly high bar would be, you would want to set a very high bar for when such a power would be used, given that we know the politically charged nature of monetary policy and the importance of maintaining inflation and inflation expectations in the band. There are a wide range of recommendations in this review. This is one of them only. Um, but I can, all I can do is repeat that the review panel, having reviewed the evidence and overseas experience, found that this would, at the margin, improve independence um, above what is already a highly respected organisation um, for the reasons I've outlined. <laughs> so, standing back, it seems that it was the technocrats and the economists 
that want to remove the Section 11 powers, but those with real lived experience from both the central bank and government, as well as many respected observers, all agree it should stay because democracy would be sacrificed and the central bank would be even less accountable if the power was removed. In other words, it is indeed a question of democracy. And more broadly, the idea of unelected central bankers being able to impose monetary policy decisions without question, well, frankly, should terrify us all. I'm Martin North from Digital Finance Analytics. Many thanks for watching, and I'll see you again next time.